Blog Talk Radio. Live under daddy's roof, you follow mama's rules. Gotta be a good little girl. Once you hit 18, the light turns green. Wanna get wild on the world. Her and her friends are getting mad. Got their own party pad. Everybody's saying hell yeah. Come on, come on, it's on. It's off the chain, crazy insane. She'll really party with the whole damn gang. Flipping out of the news, cutting loose. Raising all kinds of cane. Brother, it's off the chain. Cranked out in the yard There's a whole nother punch Drinking moonshine punch They get a little louder by the jar We little innocent child Got them all going wild hey, You can hear them for a country mile Finally singing her own damn song And it's off the chain Crazy insane She'll really party with the whole damn gang Slipping out of the news Cutting loose this is up at the Joe Friday responding to the 415 at 34 Brickyard Road. We've also got a 390 and a 314. We've seen parties before, but this ain't nothing like we've ever seen. It's off the chain. by Jamie Lee Parsons, and he's got it nailed. We are always off the chain here. I'm your host, Yvonne Mason, and I want to welcome each and every one of you to the show tonight. I know y'all get tired of me saying it's not my show, but ladies and gentlemen, it is not my show. It is your show. You're the guest. You're the listener. And because of all of y'all, we are just... I, 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 I don't know where we're going, but I know that we're hitting 131,000 listeners just on this show. But you add all the other podcasts, this thing goes up on, we're over 200,000 in 200 plus countries. So, yeah, we're definitely off the chain. Now, we're already booking shows into next year. This is how busy this show is. And sadly, I went, I was involved with a um, a company, it's um, Podcast Guest, and they put my my show or our show 
in their directory and I got all of these people that wanted to be on the show. I booked them and three of them were no-shows. So I don't know that I'm going to keep using that company because I have so many others that wait patiently to be on the show and will come on the show that I doubt very seriously I'm going to use that company again because I don't want to hurt the ones that come on the show all the time, ask to come on the show, and then they have to wait three or four months They don't call, they don't write, they don't do anything. They just don't show up. And to me, that is unprofessional, it is unethical, and it is just downright really crude and socially unacceptable. So with that being said, if you want to be on the show, there's two ways to do it. One, you can come on as a guest. Yes, you get booked months in advance. You have to friend me on Facebook. Two, you can become a sponsor for the show. I'm not in it to get rich. I don't want to get rich. I just want to help all of you succeed. You can also reach me on off the chain radio at yahoo.com. I have to start the show out with three of my sponsors because they've been so good to me. One of them is Diane Moat. She's an author. And she has a series of books out, and it's called the Sam Holden Series. And Sam is back. She is our favorite vigilante. The third book in the series has just been released. In Dog Bones, Sam's quest to avenge abused animals is threatened when the FBI comes after her on one side and the commissioner wants her dead on the other side. She sort of becomes a bureaucratic sandwich. Will her double life be exposed? Will she be able to protect the animals, her friends, and herself? Check out Dog Bones by Diane Mote everywhere ebooks are sold. And if you haven't started the series yet, start with Dog Gone, then read Dog Fight, all three by Diane Mote, and they're on Amazon, Kindle, and everywhere else that ebooks are sold. Jay Traveler Pelton has also been on this show, and she writes the Oberlin series. It's a family. The first in the series is called The Infant Conspiracy, and it is also available on Amazon in paperback and ebook. It starts a few years after rebooting the Oberlin's left off. Noel and Violet Oberlin spent their adult careers working special assignments for the U.S. government, a family tradition of service. After 40 years of espionage, all they wanted was a peaceful retirement in the country. Just as it seems that dream might happen, an unplanned series of events forced their overachieving adult children to return home to live with them. All four of them driven out of their homes by different aspects of a government that have had gone insane. Kai, a geneticist, Rosina, his wife, Gabriel, a bomb expert turned nurse with their grandson, little Kate, Jasmine, a forensic scientist married to Scott, a CPA, joined their little siblings still living at home. Micah, an autistic savant, and Serena, an artist, and uncovering a secret group of people led by the ice lady whose main goal appears to be to take the Earth's population down from 7 billion to 50 million within the next 10 years. Having infiltrated the governments of most developed countries and released an airborne anti-fertility virus, the Brotherhood succeeded in forcing a zero fertility rate. In the meantime, the economy of the U.S. tank, the government sells all citizens who have dead into slavery within a system so harsh that civil disorder breaks out. Serenity Retreat Center is forced to become a slave labor camp, and the families compelled into special service to save the center, their tribe, the United States, and humanity from extinction. If you thought retirement was simply about money, this book will change your mind. Then we have, ladies and gentlemen, a wonderful, 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 wonderful short story book. I have read this book, and the author of this book is on the show tonight. Author John Isaac Jones has written a short story book called Alabama Stories. It's only on Kindle. It is told through the perspective of a 12-year-old boy in rural Alabama way back in the day. I'm thinking late 50s, early 60s. And if you've never lived or been to rural Alabama, even today, there are some places that you don't want to go after dark. But he tells these stories through the perspective of a 12-year-old boy, and they're entertaining, they're educational, and they are fun to read. So check them all out on Kindle. And with that being said, tonight's guest, like I said, is author John Isaac Jones. He is a retired journalist currently living at Merritt Island, Florida. 
For more than 30 years, Jana, as he likes to be called, was a reporter from media outlets throughout the world. These included local newspapers in his native Alabama, the National Enquirer, News of the World in London, the Sydney Morning Herald, and NBC Television. He is the author of five novels, short story collections, and three novellas. That was as of yesterday. Now he's up to 20-something because I went and did a deep dive on him. And I'm going, some of these things I've never even heard. So we're going to talk about them tonight. John, thank you for coming back so quick. I mean, we didn't even get to, I don't even think we talked about any of these the last time, but one. Yeah, well, actually, we touched on a couple of three, but we didn't go into go into in depth on any of my other books. That's particularly my short stories or novellas. We mostly talked true. about my novels. That that is very true. So before we start talking about all these wonderful, wonderful books that I, I have to download, what have you been doing the last few weeks? You, I know you've been selling books like crazy, but what else have you been doing? Well, actually, the last about the last three months has been has been it's been screenplays. Now I've written I've written I've got one novella, which is Timbo Makaburi, a story about this wild game hunter. Which I, it's about a hundred and sixty page novel, which I converted into a screenplay. Then I had the Duck Springs Affair, which we talked about extensively on this show the last time, which I got into a screenplay. I'm hawking them on the. Uh, on the screenplay side, and uh, now I'm working on a screenplay for the Hand of God. Uh, you know, it's kind of a different ball game writing a screenplay than it is a book because, you know, film is a totally different medium, and you know, you have to make adjustments and add characters and leave out scenes and tighten up your climaxes in a ways with film that you know you don't you don't ever think about think about in, in a novel because you know film is a very fluid medium. You know, it moves yes. very quickly. The, the the plot points develop much more quickly in the film than they do in a novel. And, it's and the thing is, you have I'm to sorry? be able to tell you have to be able to tell the story in twenty pages or less, and let the director have creative license with it too. That's that's correct. That's correct. That's that's when the final product isn't nearly as much of yourself as you as it would be if you had written a novel. You no, know, because the director, the director, and of course, you know, you got all these different people that are making contributions to the film, the actors, and you know, the sound people, even the cinematographers. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's a whole different ball game writing a movie than it is sit down and write a novel. And it's also more hair pulling. Um, I, years ago, a friend of mine and I wrote a screenplay to Tangle Minds, which was the second book I put out. And trying to condense that, I think it's 300-page book, down to 20 pages and still get the, the gist of the story out was insane. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you, have to, you, you have to take it and compact it down. You know, I mean, you can and, – and The Hand of God, the book, the novel itself was 280 pages. And, and I've got – Right now, I've trimmed it down to about 130 pages in a screenplay. But, you know, when I send it out there to producers, they're going to say, you know, this is too long. You know, they're looking Uh for about 118, 118, 120 pages or something like that. So, you know, I've got my work put out for me. But, you know, I've been reading a lot of screenplays. And, you know, screenplays is a lot like novels. You know, you learn by reading. You know, you you learn to write novels by reading novels. And you learn to write screenplays by reading screenplays. But I've been reading all the screenplays, and of course, you know, it helps me in, in, in my adaptations from novels to screenplays. Do you find that it's difficult to chop up that novel into a screenplay? Because like you say, you have to leave out certain scenes, you have to condense certain things, you have to sometimes even rework a character because you oh, know yeah. that that director's interpretation is like a train wreck. You get right. ten people looking at a train wreck. You get ten ten different interpretations. That director is going to interpret that entire thing totally different from the way you wrote it. Yeah, you see, see, in a novel, in a novel, you can report things. You can't report anything in 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 a, in a film. You got to show it. I mean, you know, film is a visual medium. And you right. know, in anything, anytime, anytime that you're going to convey information to 
to a film goer, you do it in a different way than you do in a novel because the first thing that a film goer wants to see is to, is to have something shown for them. And then the next thing they want to see is they want to hear something about the story. And then the third time they want to hear it in dialogue. That's the mm-hmm. why you'll find a lot of screen, a lot of time, a lot of screenwriters that you know they put everything in dialogue because it's the easiest way. But you know, a film is done right. You know, you really you need very, 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 very little dialogue because film is such a visual medium. Medium, you know, and of course you have to, you know, you have, like I say, you have to, you have to get information to the audience in a totally different way in a film than you do than you do in a novel. It can be reported. It can be reported in a novel. You can tell in a novel. You can't do that in a screenplay. It's all got to be right there for the, and 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 again, you know, the the average moviegoer, you know, they want to hear everything either by ear or eye before they you know, they hear any dialogue about an explanation of the story or character or that sort of thing. But a lot of times and, in writing a spring, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you finish, finish. Well, I mean, like I say, and you take a novel, you know, you can, you, 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 you have to sometimes have to add a character. You have to add a scene in order to tell the same thing in a film that you're trying to sell, tell in a novel. You know, and and and, it, and it's like anything. You know, you the, the 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 more you do, the better you get at it. And, you know, but I think it's kind of like novels. I mean, you know, nobody ever nails down the perfect way to write a write a novel, and nobody ever nails down the perfect way to write a screenplay because you know you can take the same story. But for the different medium, it's got to be told totally different ways, you know, totally different ways. And and would it also be fair to say you can take the same novel and write 12 different screenplays and get 12 different perspectives when it comes out on film? Well, you know, your story is your story. You know, I mean, you know, a story, I mean, I guess you could take, you know, a novel that was that had – Ten or twelve standalone stories, and it make twelve films out of it. But a, sing- a single story, you know, you'd have to, you'd have to, you'd have to shoot enough, shoot enough film to tell the whole story. You know, the beginning, the middle, and the end. Because because you see, there's a different every, everything. Everything in film is chopped up. You know, yeah. whereas we're in 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 a novel, you can kind of stretch things out. You can't do that in film. You know, you got you got to hit them hard. You got to hit them fast. And you got to hit hit them regularly. You know. You're, you're, you know, a, a novel is a much more leisurely trip. You know, whereas whereas in a film, you know, you get a lot of information, a lot of information thrown at you hard and fast. You know, and sometimes, sometimes you're sitting there watching a film. You're going along, you're going along, and then all of a sudden, there's a 180 turn, and you wonder what the hell happened because there's a disconnect because they had to leave so much out to get to the end of the film that you wonder what happened in between. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course, on the other hand, that's part of the beauty of film. You know, you can tell, you can tell a story a lot faster with film than you can, than you can, than you can with a novel with, with, with verbiage. But on the other hand, it's a lot trickier, you know, because the arrangement of the plot, the arrangement of the plot, the range of the plot points have to be, have to be differently, have to be moved around differently because, the the reader's mind and eye and ear they follow the story differently, you know. In in a film, it's, like I say, it's much more chopped up, uh, and yet yet in its own way. And we all know this, you know. There was once a time when when they made movies without 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 any sound, you know, you pretty well understood them, you know. And uh-huh. so so it's, it's it's very it's very fluid, you know. In fact, you know some some of Charlie Chaplin's silent films, I think, are probably some of the greatest films ever made. And you know, because his was all all of Charlie Chaplin's language was facial expressions and body language. Right, exactly, exactly. Physical humor, right, right, right. And he he could he could find he could find some of the most marvelous marvelous uh, physical humor in some of the most ill-begotten you know, circumstances. Of course, you know he spent he spent a lot of years in vaudeville in London before he ever started making film. You know. And what so, I mean, what, you know, I find, he, he, what I find sorry, interesting that's okay. What I find interesting is that if you go back and look at old classics, old black and white classics, and you go back and look at you look at old actors that started off in vaudeville or were in theater or were Shakespearean actors, and then they moved to film, their 
acting had so has so much more depth than the actors that are coming up now because they had to learn how to act with their face, with their body, with their emotions, where now they just get in front of a camera and spit out words. There's no realism in the the method of acting. If you look at people right. like uh, John Houston, right. um, Angelica Houston, they all had that, they knew how to act. Betty Davis, right. another right. one. Right. An absolute master at making you believe she was the person that she was portraying. Right, right, right. Well, you see, back in the days of John Houston, back in those days, you know, they didn't have... You know, in the 40s and 50s, back in those days, they didn't have the special effects, you know, they have nowadays. And they didn't right. have all the technological advances they had for sound. See, nowadays, you know, I just don't go to the movies anymore because because most of the movies you go to are just action films, you know. Yep. Jumping off of buildings and explosions, car chases, you know. You know, back in John Houston's days, I mean, you had to have a story that touched the heart, that brought out that brought out your feelings. I mean, you know, nowadays, it, you know, it's whether or not it, it, the main question is whether or not the hero is going to get killed when he jumps out of the helicopter. You know, that's not very interesting to me. You know, I want to know, I want to know what's touching the heart of my characters. You know, I want to feel something. You know, I, I don't want to know just whether or not the, the main character is going to survive. You know, the next car chase. You know, and and the bloodier the bloodier the scene. The, the better, the quote-unquote, the better the movie. To me, that's not telling a story. That's just throwing a bunch of red paint up against the wall and hoping it's Right, sticks. right, 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 right. <laughs> it has no substance, you know. It's just, no. It's like it's just, you know, there's just nothing to it, you know. Um, another one, another one of my favorites, Sean Connery. It doesn't matter what Sean Connery plays in. He is believable. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah, well, you, those, those those Ian Fleming novels, those Sean Connery, there was just enough weirdness to them. You know, they could take action and make it make it really good. But I mean, some of the yeah. things they're making nowadays is just, you know, you know, you know, it, it just and, really and then they, goes above. Then they come. Then they complain about the movie costing so much to make. Well, go back to old school. Go back to having your actors become the character, take on the persona right. of the character. Put it that character around them. Believe they are the character. Use the facial expressions. Use the body language. Use the emotions that the old time actors brought to the stage. They were believable. The right, the right, best right. the the scariest movie I've ever seen in my entire life was Psycho. Right. And then when I read about, saw the the autobiography about Alfred Hitchcock, I understand now why it took me some days. I don't even like to take showers. I take baths because I don't want that shower curtain between me and somebody coming in the bathroom. And it scared Janet Lee so bad when Alfred Hitchcock did that movie, she, that that scene because Alfred Hitchcock is the one that did the, the slashing scene of the of the curtain, right? Because he he was trying to show um, the male actor what he wanted, and the cameras were rolling, and all you see is this knife going into the shower curtain, and that to me has always been the scariest movie I have ever seen. Well, you know, one of the one of the most private moments that we human beings expect to have in our lives is when we take a shower and taking a bath, you know. Yeah. We, exactly. we like to, we like to feel we like to feel perfectly safe and at home when we're taking a shower, you know, that there's there's no danger nearby, you know, and I think that's one of the things and I have to say that that every time I take a shower there, there, there there's a flash of Janet Lee uh, <laughs> in that in that shower stall. <laughs> Yep, you are exactly right. And and she said she never got over that scene because it was so frightening. Because And you didn't see the, the blood and the guts and the gore, and it was done in black and white. All you saw was the shadow of that hand and the shadow of that knife going into that shower curtain. And it was yeah. so 
visual. Right, 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 right. Yeah, that's a uh, that, that's a great movie. Uh, you know, Hitchcock he made some movies. I haven't written. I've got in my head. I I have not written. I've got I have got a novel for a horror story in my in my head. The turn of the screw, but I want to take it in totally different directions than Henry James ever did. I've never written. I mean, I've written some horror short stories. You know, I wrote uh, I wrote the surrogate. I wrote going home. You know, going home is a story of a man, man, man taking going on a going on a trip before he dies. Uh, it's called the the story is called a dead man's dream. Uh, I've got a couple of three horror stories, but I've never written a full a full length horror novel. Be interesting to see how how I am. I think I, I think it'll be fun, but uh, I haven't done it yet. But I've written several horror short stories, you know, going home well, we're gonna, and the surgery. We're going to talk about those in just about four minutes. If you'll give me time to run these ads, we're going to get into those because some of those I hadn't even seen until I pulled up your website and I went, oh, I got to read this one, got to read this one. Where did this one come from? <laughs> Bear with me. Ladies and sure, gentlemen, this sure. is Off the Chain. I am your host, Yvonne Mason, with my guest, the wonderful, wonderful John Isaac Jones. I am so privileged and honored to know this man because I can just sit and talk to him for hours about things because he is so amazing. We will be right back and continue this conversation, so stay tuned. Horses See Ghosts, a new poetry book by Gannat Wise. It's been called Poetry for the Rest of Us, Amazon. Do you have cougars on your porch swing? Are horses your new best friend? Do your nicest shoes get buried knee-deep in snow as your toes turn blue? Are you bothered by wolves at your woodpile? No, not that kind of wolf. Join wildlife artist and author Nancy Quinn and her family as they discover an exciting new life in Go West, Young Woman, a true Montana adventure, available online and in bookstores. Or visit QuinnWildlifeArt.com for a personalized signed copy. Critics agree, it's a hoot. A struggling city, its beloved baseball team, an antique camera, and photos from that camera that bear an image from the pit of hell, an entity only a select few can see. Journalism professor Buddy Cullen is determined to track this demon down. But who is the hunter and who is the prey? And who will be the next target of mankind's mortal foe? Mortal Foe, available at Amazon.com. Hi, this is Winona and Jade inviting you to join us and our wonderful guests on the And I Thought Women's Cave podcast on Blog Talk Radio to learn more about our books, the And I Thought series, and The Misfit Guides. They're available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNobles.com. Or just to see what your ladies are up to, you can find all of that out on www.andwethought.com. So peace and love from Winona and Jade and our books. <laughs> You're so silly. You silly. Remember Did you write that? That's funny. <laughs> Remember to visit us at andwethought.com. The year, 1888. The place, London's East End. Dead and mutilated bodies are popping up all over, from Stamford to Whitechapel. Jack the Ripper is leaving his mark and the city's on edge. Yvonne Mason is back with a tale of murder and millinery. The Rhodes Hat Factory is booming while the body count rises. Why now? How are these hats connected? Has the Hatter gone mad? Mad Hatter from Yvonne Mason. Available now on Amazon.com. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen, with Off the Chain. I'm your host, Yvonne Mason, with my wonderful, wonderful guest, author John Isaac Jones. And we're talking about um, 
screenplays and short stories, and the man has written a whole fistful of short stories I didn't even know were out there, and we just got started talking to him when we had to go pay a few bills. So let's let's back up a little bit, John. Talk about going home. That one caught my eye. Going home is the story of a man who knows he's going to die, but he, there's a few things he wants he wants to do before before he dies. Okay, and in this in the story, I'm going to give it away. I guess when I do this. He he goes uh, he, he goes back to his hometown. He he sees his old friends at the pool hall. He sees his old girlfriend. He lives through some memories of his childhood. He remembers through some days when he was a thief. Uh, and but the thing he wanted to do was to go back was to go back to his mama's house and see his mother and eat some of her fried peach pies. And that's the last last thing he did. Have you ever read a short story called An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge by Ambrose Bierce? No, I have not. It was a story. It's very similar to that. That story has been called A Dead Man's Dream. It's what goes through a man's mind the moments before he dies. Uh, But I've had some – this probably – at least it's my favorite short story. Uh, I, I've got some bites on it as a screenplay. It, it, as a screenplay, it only turned out to be about 31, 32 pages. But I've had some bites on it. I've had several people who wanted to read it. Just to, therefore, yesterday's a guy called me and wanted to read it. So I hope it didn't sell. It, had, it hadn't yet, but I hopefully it sell. But it's a horror story. It's, it's just about what goes through a mind during a man's mind, the life, uh, what goes through a man's mind before he dies, just the, the, the few moments before he loses consciousness. Then you wrote Prejudice, which I found interesting. I have not read it yet, but just reading the synopsis grabbed me. Well, you know, you know, when I was a kid, when I was a kid growing up in North Alabama many, many years ago, I remember that story was written on a true incident. Uh, I was uh, I was five years old, and of course, this was the height of the Jim Crow era, and this. This young black man came to our house to dig a ditch for my father, and that whole story grew out of that incident. Uh, it's a story of how that you know that the, the, the black people were treated in the South in in the late forties and early fifties. Uh, you know, it's way before civil rights and yeah. civil rights and, and and the marches and all that. But it's a story that a young boy that's trying to that's trying to figure out in his mind. He watches the way his father treats this black man, and he wonders why this goes on. Why why he treats this black man different than he did white people? And this little boy is just asking questions about because I mean this guy, this this black man outside of having the black skin, he seemed in every other way he seemed white to this little boy. You know he hadn't heard all the stories about black people and blah 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 blah. So. This little boy is trying to figure out why his daddy is treating this black man so differently. Uh, you know, you draw a lot of parallels between, you know, it, uh, basically it's just this little boy watches his daddy and he, he just doesn't understand why his, why his father's man differently than he would, you know, white people. And it's, it's, and, and it's actually, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I'm sure that there are a lot of life's lessons in there because even today there still is a prejudice against people that we don't understand. That's right. That's right. That's right. People that are different from us. Yeah. 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 Now, thanks PG. What is that one about? Thanks PG is the story I wrote about my days as a, as a reporter with the national Enquirer. Uh, it, it's the memoirs of my story working to the tabloids. It's the places I went, the stories I covered. You know, I covered stories about Marlon Brando. I covered the O.J. trial. I covered stories about Elvis. I met Elvis a couple of times. I covered Jimmy Carter. I covered George Wallace. Um, you know, and then when I was in California, I was in California 10 or 12 years, and I covered, you know, weddings and and, you know, events and all that sort of thing. So basically, the uh, Thanks PG is the story. It's a fiction. It's a fictional biography of my days as a reporter with the National Enquirer. It's about the way the story, way, way cowboy stories are put together. 
It's about the way that they're published. It's the way they're edited. It's just uh, it's just an inside look at tabloid newspapers. A lot of people have a lot of preconceived ideas of what what tabloid newspapers are about, but most of them are wrong. You know, they're just preconceived ideas that you know the real story of working for the tabloids is a totally different story. You know, I mean, it's it's it's, it's very very different. In fact, that's that's one of my favorites. I've got I got got two two good reviews on it the day before yesterday. It's uh, wow. It, 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 it's it's one of, it's one of my favorite books. Yeah, I like that book. Um, and I've got friends. I've got a lot of friends. You know, a lot of the people that's in the tabloid industry in the United States are in England. And I've had some I've had some good some good reviews out of London on Thanks PG. Thanks PG I, is. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say I'm gonna have to download the book. You've got me hooked. You know that was Alabama <laughs> stories. That that one got me hooked. Yeah, well, I, I, I hope you like it. Like I say, it, it's an inside look at, at the life of a tabloid reporter. You know, the first couple of chapters is my days, my days growing up in Alabama and, you know, working for dailies. But, you know, most of it is the days I worked for, for GP. See, the title is Thanks, Thanks PG, but the real person's name was, was PG, it was GP, who is Generoso Pope. Uh, the founder and the publisher of the National, the publisher, the founder and publisher of the National Enquirer. Um, but, but you know, all, all that, all that's explained in the book. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it was really fun to write, Yvonne, because you know you kind of sit back, you remember the people and the places and life experiences and people you meet and, you know, just uh, if, if, if I, I'll be totally honest with you, Yvonne, I wouldn't take anything in the world for those years. You know, those are some of the happiest. Oh years of my life covering you know traveling the world and you know covering stories and covering the oj trial you know there there will never ever be another story like the oj trial never ever ever be another story like the oj trial that no. was that was the feeding the feeding frenzy of all feeding frenzies the oj trial was and and it, it was also the catalyst for 24 7 news now that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Now you, yeah, you like, also wrote standby. Yeah, that's kind of a that's kind of a kind of a little short story there. Standby is a woman who is a st- is on standby at the airport, and she meets an old lover, and she talks to him, and she she she's been wanting to meet this man for twenty years again, but she never had the Never had the the courage to call him or try to reach him, and she she encounters this man and they have this conversation, and finally she realizes that she's not only on standby for the plane, but she's been on standby with this man for something like twenty years, so it's kind of a kind of a double standby story, you know. It's, it's people that have hopes and dreams, but they never have the courage to reach out and get them. They just always kind of on the sidelines, you know, just kind of on standby. They're never, never in the real action. They're just, their whole lives are spent on standby. You, you, are you following me? Yes, because they don't, they don't take that step forward. I have an old adage, you know, you don't know the answer to the question until you ask the question. And most people will That's never right. ask the question. So like you That's said, they exactly live their right. life on standby. Blood on right. the salad. What in the devil is that one? <laughs> That's, when I was, Yvonne, when I was a kid growing up in high school, I had a job printing menus at the at the hotel in in my my little hometown. There was this ritzy hotel there, and they printed the menus every day. And when I was in high school, I had the job of printing the menus, and that's a story of. <laughs> this is I have to tell you, this is based on a true story. The, the every every year in, in 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 the town they had this event, you know this big event, and all the all the high muckety mucks would come, all the rich politicians, and you know and all the big businessmen would come, and you know if you was anybody you had to come to this big event. This big event was held every year at this ritzy hotel that I worked at. Well, during one year of the event there, the salad lady was cutting up salad, and she was. They, they like to serve salad, you know, fresh, and so they would make it just before the banquet. And it's a story of this woman that uh, was cutting up the salad. She, she, you know, she had these 
five big tubs. You know, she, she's got to make enough salad to feed, you know, 300 people. So she's got all the lettuce, tomatoes, onions, and, and cucumbers in these big plastic tubs. Well, in the process of cutting, of cutting up the vegetables, she, she dicks her finger. And so she puts one Band-Aid on it, and it wasn't enough to, to stop the bleeding. And she puts another Band-Aid on it. And the first thing she knows, she's got about eight Band-Aids on her <laughs> finger from where she cut her finger. Okay, so now she's ready to toss the salad. Well, in the process of tossing the salad, she loses the bundle of Band-Aids in the salad. And so she has to, she has to, go, she has to go through the entire salad. <laughs> And then you'll do fine, the bundle of Band-Aids. And so the hotel owner said, well, she knows that we can't, we, we've got to, we've got to have a salad. We can't, we can't just keep the salad. So the owner came in and picked out some pieces of the salad and wiped some blood off of it, you know, and they went ahead and served the salad. Uh, <laughs> it's really, it's really, it's, it's, it's funny about this. Uh, it's a funny thing about stories like that is that some people uh, don't 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 like to talk about things like that, and other people it's just it's just totally hysterical to them. You know, they, you know some of the reviews that I got was something like unpleasant people talking about unpleasant things, but it, it's <laughs> funny how that some people are just just die laughing, and other people just don't don't really like it. You know. Well, they have no but sense of humor. Good, but they also understand that this really happens in restaurants. Oh, it's a true story. <laughs> and when, when I, when I, when I, in the in the in the description for it, you know, I say that that, that if you read this story, you may never again eat another salad because it's uh, <laughs> it's pretty funny. I have to say, if I did write it, that is hysterical. What about Johnny Daytona? Well, that's another that's another story. You know, when I was growing up, you know, when I was a kid, when I was you know nine or ten years old, you know, I was you know I was I would I would go with my father to the pool hall and and he would he would, you know he would, I would see guys shooting pool and then anyway it's a long story of of how that the game of the fascination of the game of pool you know just 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 just, just helped me. I mean it just I was. I, you, you know, I could, I could. I, there's nothing I would rather do than watch this one man, this one pool player named Johnny Daytona, who was a professional, professional pool player, play pool. And you know, about how much it's actually a game of hero worship. And the story, the plot points of the story traces the evolution of this boy, or the the, the, the main character, from from the time he's about 15 up till he's about the age of 40. And all the times that his relationship, you know, this man would come in and he would play hustler. He would come into town. There's a story of one time the hustler came into town and Johnny Daytona, he pulled a, pulled a gun on Johnny and Johnny killed him. And then there's a story when this great hustler come down from Kentucky. And it, it, it's just, a, it's, it's actually a story of hero worship about this, this young kid who, who, who is obviously me. Uh, is just fascinated by the game of pool, particularly by this one pool player, Johnny Daytona. Uh, I won't tell you the end of it, but it's oh please uh, don't because I have to buy it. Yeah, it's uh, it, 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 it 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 it's really a great little story. I mean, it's a story that's very close to my heart. But but I've only got about four reviews on it. You know, I don't get a lot of people buying it. Although to my in my heart, it's it, it, it's very close to my heart. You know, Johnny Daytona. Yeah. Then you wrote one called Mother's Day. What is that one about? Well, <laughs> this happens on Mother's Day. And this guy, this guy, and, you know, him and his wife are going to church on Mother's Day. And, you know, when you go to church on Mother's Day, if your mother's living, you're supposed to wear a red rose. If your mother is if your mother is, is dead, you're supposed to wear a white rose. So this guy, the main character, he goes to this place to buy some roses, and uh, and they didn't, she didn't have no more reds. And this guy was supposed to wear a a a white rose because his mother was dead, but they didn't they didn't have any white roses, so he got a red a, a red rose. So he gets back in the car with his wife, and she says, "Oh no," said you're supposed to be wearing a you're supposed to be wearing a white rose, and you've got a red rose. And he said, "Well, that's all she had." And his wife said, "Well," said I guess it'll have to do. So the little boy the little boy says, "Well, we'll just have to play like that. That daddy's mother's alive today." 
So after he walks out of the drug, after he walks out of the store, out of the drugstore with the roses, he meets this he meets his mother. His mother, his mother, the spirit of his mother comes up and meet him, and then they they have this long talk, and he asks she asks about his health, and and you know he tells her how glad he is to see her, how much he loves her, and how much he misses her, and then. She says that, well, I got to go back now. And he said, go back. Where are you, where are you going? You know, and she said, well, I've got to go. She said, they, let me, they just let me come visit for a while. And it, it's a story. It's a story of, I guess, everybody in this world would like to, see, not to meet their mother again sometime. And it's a story of, you know, the, the white rose, the red rose is just a symbol for living, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, then you wrote the surrogate. I'm sorry? You wrote yeah, the that's, surrogate. That, that, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's kind of a wild one right there. It, it, the surrogate is a story about this this little town in Georgia where everybody knows everybody, and <clears throat> there's this one woman who this young who is this this nephew, this niece of the guy who's the county coroner, and uh, she meets this guy and they get married and fall in love and. They decide to have kids, but she finds out she can't have kids. So they hire the surrogate to hire to they hire the surrogate to have a child for him. So she, during the process of of him trying to impregnate the service of the the, the surrogate, he elopes with her, and yep. he's gone for something. He's gone for something like three or four years, and then, you know, the, the, you know he, she, she's, she's brokenhearted, devastated, and blah, 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 blah. And now all of a sudden, he shows up again, and he wants to make up with her. And then, you know, that's when she gets her revenge on him, you know. Ooh. And that's, um, that sounds had some like good reviews fun. on it. Had, had, some, had some good reviews on it. Then I'm looking at this one with this. Snake with his fangs hanging out. That I, when I saw it, I did a double take. I said, "John wrote this. What in the world is this one about?" Well, there's this little boy. There's this little boy who's dying, and his parents have killed in a uh, in a car wreck. And um, he he is his new caretaker is his aunt. This very cruel, mean aunt. And uh, she comes to the house, and you know she won't. You know she is a strict authoritarian. You know she won't let him. You know any spills on this tablecloth, or no mud on the no mud on the floor. Or, you know she's a very strict. She, she, and he all he he likes to collect. He likes to collect uh, reptiles from the, from the swamp. They're right near the Okeechobee Swamp in South Georgia. So. You know, he he would get a little turtle and he'd put it in his room, and she would come and find it and, and kill it. And then you know there was a little frog, or, and you know she'd come and kill it. And then finally, he he captures uh, the most dangerous snake in the world, the Serpentis saragosi, and he gets her his revenge on her. It's uh, <laughs> and you it's said you don't buy horror. Well, I mean, yeah, that, yeah, in a way, it is, except that's not just outright horror. That's kind of muted horror there. That's kind of, <laughs> kind of, I guess you could call it indirect horror. You know, it's not in-your-face horror. You know what I'm saying? It is if you're scared of snakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a great short story. I, lo- I love that short story. I, I, I sold, sold quite a few of them. Well, th- let me ask you this. Last, last time we talked about um, the hand of God. And we talked, yeah. and it is, ladies and gentlemen, this book is based on a, a real murder, a double murder that happened here in Florida years ago. Briefly tell the folks about this book, and I wish you would get it in audio so my husband could listen to it. He can no longer read because he's going blind, but if, I would love for you to get it in audio so he could listen to it. But tell the folks about this, because at that time, this the the crime was headlined all over the world, was it not? Oh yeah, oh absolutely, yeah. I mean, when uh, when the trials the trials was covered by all the major newspapers of the United States and overseas, you know, particularly in London and Paris, 
This is the story of uh, the the murder of uh, Curtis Chilling's wife, Curtis Chillingworth, and his wife Marjorie. He was a uh, he was a, he was a circuit judge in Palm Beach County, Florida, and he had some information on this corrupt lawyer that uh, was was in the town. And this lawyer was afraid that he was going to he was going to use this information and get him disbarred and cause him to lose his license. So he hires this Brazilian and this young black guy to kill him. Well, he, well, he actually hires hires the Brazilian first, and then the Brazilian brings in this young black guy with it to, uh, to 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 commit the murder. And then when they get ready to commit the murder, they get they they they, they take a boat and they go to the back of this 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 couple's this, this this judge and his wife to the back of their beach house, and they take them out and they put them in the boat and they take them out to the Gulf Stream, the Gulf Stream. Is you know just a little ways off of the uh, off the, off the Atlantic coast of Florida, and they, uh, they 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 put diving weights on them, and then they they they, they drop them off in the ocean. Uh, now the, his wife was you know she was a tiny little woman, and they put diving weights on her, and she went down. But her husband, who had been a Navy man, they got ready to put diving weights on him and throw him overboard, and he jumped overboard on his own. And so they start chasing him with the boat, and and this guy this guy was swimming in the ocean trying to get away from them, and so they finally they uh, they they catch up with him and they shoot him with a shotgun, and then they go back. Well, over the next few weeks, what 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 this young black man and what Bobby Lincoln had done? This is based on a true story. You know, the the the, the names that I'm using here are from from real life. Right. Uh, he he starts feeling guilty about it. And so he starts, you know, he, he starts having these, 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 these dreams and these nightmares and he goes to the beach and he sings, he sings, he sings gospel songs and he starts basically just going crazy until he finally, you know, he, 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 he finally just confesses to it. You know, he, he can't believe what he's done. He hates what he's done, but he can't change it now. So he confesses and they put him in jail. So while he's in jail, he meets this man named Bags Calhoun. Bags Calhoun is a man that uh, he brings a little card around to give books to all the inmates so they can read in prison. I mean, read in the jail. So Bobby, Bobby Lincoln, while he's waiting on his trial for murder, he uh, he um, he starts reading books. And, and one thing, and he really broadens himself and he educates himself, and then. About two weeks before the trial, he learns that they don't have a body. They don't have a body. The prosecutor, they don't have a body, what they call a corpus delecti, mm-hmm. because he does, they don't have a body. The prosecutor goes to Bobby and tells him, "Look," says, "You know," says, "says I, I hadn't got a case here if I hadn't got a if I hadn't got a, a body. So I need a witness." And said, "If you'll be the witness for uh, for for the prosecution." You know, I'll I'll give you immunity. Of course, I mean, he, he did some negotiating with him, but anyway, he got immunity if he would testify for the state. So he testified for the state. They win the case against the guy that hired him originally, and he. I'm I'm I'm, I'm fast forwarding here, and then after it was over, they they have got they have got to they have got the bad guys in jail, and uh, there's a final shootout after the bad guys learn what he's done. He he is. He has destroyed their little playhouse, so they come looking for him, and there's a shootout. And at the end, he marries his. his, his, his anyway, it has a happy ending. It has a happy ending, and and he goes to Chicago and gets rich, and and you know he he, he does he establishes a college for black people. It, it, it's a very inspiring story in a lot of ways. I think you know, you know when I was when I was in computers, I was in computers for about. 12 years from 2000 to 2012 and there was a little black man named Clayton Vandiver who I, who I dedicated the book, the book to Clayton Vandiver was probably the smartest man I ever knew he was you know as as a tech I mean he, he not only understood hardware and software but he understood networking and you could go to him and you could ask this man just about anything this was for a satellite company in Atlanta and Clayton could, could not only could he answer it, would he have the right answer, but he could deliver it. He could he could he could he could impart that information in such a way that there was nothing threatening or intimidating about him. 
You know, some people who are text can know information, but the way that they try to the way they try to communicate it, you know, it seems intimidating, but not not Clayton. Uh-huh. Clayton was the kind of Clayton was the kind of man. He not only had the answer, but he knew how to deliver it to you in a friendly, you know, non-threatening manner. And well, guess, um, that, guess what, my friend? What's that? Our hours, um, our hours almost up. All right. So quickly, tell folks where you can be found, and will you come back? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay. Uh, we'll just go 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 to uh, John Isaac Jones' Amazon page. You'll see that I've got I've got twenty books in audio. I've got twenty six in in uh, in in ebooks, and I've got uh, something like eight. And it would create space in as uh, uh, paperbacks. And 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 Yvonne, thank you so much for giving me a chance to talk about my books. Okay, thank you so much. Oh, honey, you you have me spellbound. You had I read Alabama stories, and I can't say enough about them. I, it put me in rural Alabama because you know I've oh, been over there you. many many times. So I understood that book perfectly well. Right, ladies and gentlemen, right. go and well, get. John Isaac Jones's books because they are absolutely marvelous. They're great reads. You will fall in love with this man's writing because he knows how to write. He knows how to tell a story. So go and get. No, you can't go now because we're not done yet. When when the show goes dark, you can go. But as you all know, I bring on the most interesting people, and I appreciate them so much. All of y'all are what make this show what it is, John, and, and it, it means so much to me. I could just sit here for an hour and not say anything and just listen to you talk about how you got where you are and all the stories that I know that you've got from doing journalism for 30-some-odd years. We'll have to do a show on that. That's happy with that, I'm always enjoying I always enjoy on the show. Well, thank you. Yeah, we'll do a show on that, ladies and gentlemen. We'll talk about his journalism days and talk about he did cover the OJ trial and that was a trial within itself. But until next time, which we start off next Wednesday night at eight o'clock Eastern Daylight Time with a whole new show. I want to say thank you to John for being here because I just love to listen to him talk about his books and, and, and just I just love to listen to him talk, period. He's so interesting. And he is coming back. He is a regular on the show, ladies and gentlemen. But as you all know, there are several things that I say at the end of the show. One of the things is people will forget what you look like. They will forget your name. But they will never, ever, ever forget how you make them feel. And if you don't believe it, try it, because we're all on a journey. Every one of us is on a journey. And some of us are on a journey that we know what the ending is going to be. And sometimes we just need someone to say, it'll be okay. So remember that when you're out and about and, and someone doesn't seem to respond to you in a kind way, just be kind to them, because you don't know what's going on in their life. Also, If you want to aspire to be great, please don't ask anybody for their permission because they're not going to give it to you. You go out and you just do it. You, you, whether it's garbage collector to rocket scientist, I say this at the end of every show, whatever it is, and you want to be great at it, go out and be great at it. Do not allow anyone to stop you. Encourage your children to be great at whatever it is they want to do. Allow them to be great because that is the key to success. Success is not how much money we make, but it's how much fun we have doing what we do. And you you hear the passion in John's voice. Hear the passion in my voice. We are both successful. Are we millionaires? No. Are we going to be? No. But are we successful? Yes. Is it a passion? Yes. Are we happy doing it? Yes. That is the key, ladies and gentlemen, because if you're happy at doing what you're doing, you'll never work a day in your life. So with that, I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for joining us tonight. Thank you, John, for once again mesmerizing me with your with your stories and your books because they are absolutely amazing. 
We will join you all again next Wednesday night at 8 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time when we start another new week of fun-filled and exciting guests. And who knows who will pop up? I never know. And who knows what we'll talk about? I never know. So until next Wednesday night, this is your host, Yvonne Mason, with Off the Chain and my guest, author John Isaac Jones. Go and get his book, and we wish you a good night. We're off the air, John, but you know that I'll right, put good this enough. up. All right. Hey, uh, <laughs> hey, 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 thanks for having me, okay? I always love to, I always love to chat with you, okay? You are quite welcome. And, you know, when the show archives, I'll put it up on the page, and I'm going to tag you in it, and you just take it and post it everywhere. And then tomorrow, I'll put okay. it up on all the podcasts. You know we're on Reverb Nation, and we're also on iHeartRadio now. We're on Spotify, too. Right. So we're okay. heard everywhere. So okay, I right, will, good, good enough, you, good enough. I you, hope it's helping sell some books. It will. Now, it's up until after the first of the year, but I'm going to get you in after the first of the year. By then, you'll have some more stories out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but but be, don't hesitate to call me, okay? Okay, if I run into trouble and need a guest, I'll say, John, come be on the show. Okay, all right, okay, all right. <laughs> all right, thank John. You. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. All right, honey. All right. Good night. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Good night. Bye-bye.